welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're in a series called The Empowering Presence, and we're looking at the person of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to continue where we left, left, off, left off last week. Um, I was sick all week, and I've lost my voice for like four days, and it's, it came back yesterday um, through the, the miracle of Jesus and, and lots of honey and, and hot water. Um, and I, I'm preaching today, but I also have two more sermons in, at our friend's church in Santa Monica, Vintage Church in L.A. Uh, it's a good friend of ours. We partner together, and they asked if I'd come, so I'm doing that. So pray that I can keep preaching, not just after this service, okay? Would you do that for me? But quick review, because uh, I preached on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And obviously that's, you know, quite a controversial for some of us of growing up in the church subject. But I want to define what, what we mean by baptism in the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's always baptism in the Spirit, never baptism of the Spirit. It's a noun. Um, it's not a noun, the baptism of the Spirit. It's always a verb, being baptized in the Spirit. And the baptism is synonymous throughout Scripture uh, with various words and phrases. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the indwelling, empowering clothing, outpouring, and filling of a believer with the presence of God. And Simon Ponzi puts it this way, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, it's saturated, it's complete and replete with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. And so often we carry around and this particular subject, this idea that you're saved and you're filled with the Spirit, or maybe you're saved and then you have this other experience that produces gifts of the Spirit, and that's what baptism is. Um, and we kind of got rid of those arguments, or really we just kind of looked, at, explored all of those arguments last week. So I encourage you to lis- listen to it. But essentially what we realize, what you see in Scripture is it, are you saved and you're filled? Is there a one-time experience of being baptized? Is it ongoing? And the answer is yes. So all of those are accurate. That um, what we see is God promises to fill us with his presence and you can have lots of experiences and maybe no, none of those charismatic experiences ever in your life, but God desires to fill you more and more with his presence. And the question isn't technical are you filled, aren't you? The question is, do you want more of God? I want to posture our hearts in a place where we're hungry for more of the presence of God. Are you good with that? Okay, let's, let's keep going a little more. I want to make this thing too. Um, in order to go where we're going today, which is talking about uh, living ordinary life in the power of the Holy Spirit, naturally supernatural, or I want to show you how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live missionally wherever we go. In order to do that, we have to understand that the Spirit does work in us to transform us. But not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of others. Always. That when we talk about, the reason we talked about the Spirit and identity a couple weeks ago, is that if you're walking around going, who am I? Do I have a purpose? Do people really like me? Am I, more, am I good enough? Which is basically everyone here, most of the time, if we could just be honest. As long as we're carrying those questions around and we're not living out of who we really are empowered by that divine relationship with the presence of God, His Holy Spirit, we won't get to this section, which is the purpose of why the Spirit fills us. You good? Should we pray? 
God, would you just bless us with a fresh outpouring of your presence? I just thank you, Lord, that even now you are desiring us to be more fully ourselves. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that are carrying all sorts of fear and anxiety, carrying self-hatred and insecurity. I want to pray, Lord, for those of us that are wrestling with serious issues, some of our marriages, some of our relationships are, are, are we're struggling in our relationships. Um, Lord, I want to pray that we would be present to the word you have today in this moment for this local church, the garden right now. I pray that we would be listening to what you have for us. And more than anything, I pray that through the power of your word, through the preaching, through your spirit, you would implant in us uh, seeds that would grow to fruitful ministry and that you would release your church. I know you want your church to be released into the wild, not held in captivity, but in the wild and free. So bless us, Lord, with what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so living in the power of the Spirit, naturally supernatural, Spirit moves us to mission. If you have a Bible, we're gonna look at a story the story of Acts, we're gonna highlight some people or one individual in particular and talk about what it means for us today and then we'll pray. Sound good? And go get some lunch. Um, So maybe not all of us together, but we could go our separate ways. Acts chapter one, verse eight, this is the why. You guys good? The why. But you, Jesus speaking, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So This is Jesus, the risen Jesus, speaking to the church. This is what's gonna happen. Wait in Jerusalem as the church for the power of God to clothe you, fill you, free you, come upon you through his presence, the Holy Spirit. Once that happens, once you receive the Holy Spirit person, you will receive power to do the things that Jesus did. So what we see is Jesus promised the Spirit would come upon us and give us power <clears throat> to continue the ministry of Jesus. This is what you have to see. That as apprentices or disciples of Jesus, your job is not to show up to church. Your job is to be church wherever you go. And the church's task is simple. Carry on, period, the ministry of Jesus, period. Maybe there shouldn't be two periods, but carry on, short enough. Just carry on the ministry of Jesus, period. You're welcome for that. I've been sick. My ear's plugged. Um, This task is so simple, yet we've made it so complex. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. But here's what we're invited into, this epic story of creation, fall, the redemption through Jesus, and then the new creation. And we're part of new creation, that God wants to fill his people with his presence to bring about new creation and restoration and reconciliation of all things. The church in its frailty and humanness, I'm speaking of you and I, is called and commissioned to continue the life and ministry of Jesus, to make disciples of all nations, to preach to all creation, to go into the world as witnesses of the resurrection. This is what we're called into. This is not some unique thing. This is what everyone is invited into when we say, yeah, I believe that he's Lord and raised from the dead. We've reduced this to a transaction, as Dallas Willard describes, like like buying a product in a grocery line, they scan it, boop, boop, yep, you're saved, keep going into heaven. That transaction has destroyed the work of the gospel in the world. And we are invited in through the power of the Spirit to continue 
the life and ministry of Jesus. It's the spirit that gives us power to do what Jesus did in the gospels today. The Holy Spirit enables us to carry on the work of Jesus in, the everyday, in our everyday ordinary life. Jesus promises, he said this would happen in John chapter 14. I'm just using the Bible right now to argue your purpose. John 14 verse 12, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Now you should go through John and look at the works. Small things like feeding 5,000. Just a little bit, you know, turning water into wine. That's kind of cool at parties, you know, keep the party going. Um, giving sight to the blind, that would be cool. Touching lepers, healing the sick. Those that are paralyzed are walking in his presence. Oh, and he raised the dead. Lazarus died, and then he, he came back to life. So those are some of the works that he had been doing up until that point. And he says, um, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in, in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So it is uh, the question then, so Jesus' desire for us as the church, as his disciples is to do the things he was doing. This is what we expect. How do we do the things that Jesus did? Holy Spirit, yes. First service, the most awkward long pause I have ever heard. I sat down at one point and made some tea and came back. <clears throat> they phoned it in. Uh, they called Pastor Bill. <clears throat> no, they didn't. I'm just kidding. You guys are a favored service. So the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. It fills the whole church. The Spirit enables them. The Holy Spirit we know comes upon us to transform us, but he also comes to empower us with, to do the things that Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us to send us out. Now I want to focus in on some scripture and the story of one character that I've most related to as a pastor in ministry, as a planter. Uh, I planted a church at 23 years old, this church. And this is the character that has resonated more than anyone else in scripture because I just, I love him. So Acts chapter six, here we go. The church is born in Acts two and it begins to spread. It was not a small church. From the moment the spirit fell, 3,000 people were baptized and saved. So immediately there's a mess. And then more people are saved and there's, there's persecution and, and, and um, the, 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 the religious establishment was trying to destroy the church. Then there's hypocrisy and all of a sudden Ananias and Sapphira, <coughs> they lie and they die, which is a crazy story. You should read it, but it's about uh, keeping the church pure in its witness to the world. It cannot be a place where you say one thing and do another, which is what we have as a testimony right now in the world, is it not? And so we have to be people who are people of our word. How can the spirit of truth indwell in a place that's full of lies? Think about it. <coughs> we are the pillar of God's activity in the world the only institution anointed by the presence of God, we have to be people of our word. And I'm not talking about as a corporate, I'm saying you have to be a person of your word because do you not know you're the living temple that God has dwelled in you? And so all of you that are right now being convicted of the things that you've done this week, this is the work of the spirit and it's not a place of shame and condemnation. You simply say thank you for reminding me of that. 
I don't want that in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, renew me. It's that easy. Because you walk into the presence of God, and what does he see? Oh, that's my favorite right there. That's my boy. That's my girl. But what you carry in is, I'm not good enough. Look at, all, look at what I've done this week. And he's like, no, no, I've, I've already separated that as far as the east is from the west. Acknowledge it and move on. Are we good? Some of us, some of us get it. <coughs> some of us, it will become more contagious. Thank you guys in the front. Appreciate the love. <coughs> some of us, I'm out of here already. Just kidding. Um, Acts 6. So there's all sorts of crises. Oh, he's sitting back down. Let's go. No, you can go. Go ahead. It's all right. <coughs> Acts 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews... Greek culture and Greek-speaking Jews, among them complaining against the Hebraic, Hebrew-speaking, Hebrew culture Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. I love this passage right here because by Acts chapter 6, the church is already feeding its, each other. And it's already multicultural. Isn't that amazing? And there's already all sorts of arguments and conflict. Praise the Lord. People are like, we got to get back to the New Testament. Have you seen how crazy Corinth was? Just read. It's messy. And it's designed to be messy because it's people. Like we have to at some point acknowledge that if we're going to do this thing, we're going we're gonna to have some conflict. Like this is the only place right now other than protest lines where Democrats and Republicans can coexist and wash each other's feet. I guess that doesn't happen at the protest lines. The nation is so divided. And the church is designed to be the only container that allows for such diversity. Because we all recognize there's only one thing that unifies. And it's the resurrected Jesus. So at some point, church, you have to say it's real and it's flesh and blood. And every time we try to make it words or idealization, a vision, we miss the flesh and blood of, and the humanity of the church. Think about that later. So the 12 gathered around the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility of dealing with nagging widows and passing out food to old people, just I'm doing that on purpose, over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose seven. Oh, they stole it's seven. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests in the temple became obedient to the faith in Christianity. So check this out with Acts, Acts 6. At the end, this little phrase, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. This is a technical literary device that Luke will use in a variety of ways throughout the book of Acts to say something happened that empowered evangelistic outcome. The church did something right and it increased. So Paul they, uh, what happens is they, uh, the church begins to confess their sins of idolatry 
And um, because of the power of ministry that happens, like Paul's healing people, something happens, and there's like this increase in this riot occurs. There's all throughout the scriptures or Acts, you see this like weird little increase rapidly or increase in evangelistic. And I want to just point this out, that what's happening in this moment is the disciples are leading this growing movement, and they're doing the best that they could. They recognize that there are needs in their community that are not below them, but that are, not, that are taking from their pri- prim- primary focus in this time, which was preaching the word and prayer. But the task of providing food for hungry people was really important, equally as important, but the church needed to be church. The church needed to take care of itself for the sake of the apostles preaching and praying and leading the organization rather than just doing meeting everyone's needs, which is common in every institution. The church grows, places grow. You need to expand the roles based on on gifting, based on your Myers-Briggs or disc type. No, that's not what happens. I want you to pay attention to this. It's the Holy Spirit. It's cool. You go. Come on, Daisy, keep it going. It's the Holy Spirit. She knows it's anointed. Come on. It's the Holy Spirit that enables and empowers the church to serve. Look at this. The issues in the church, there's conflict. People have expectations of what should happen. The church is figuring out how to care for itself, and the church needs servants to step up and, church, uh, and serve. And so what they do is they say, wow, the task is we need more casseroles and administration. But what they say is get people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. They're not looking for the administrative type. They're looking for people that wash feet. They're looking for people that say, not what's in my hand, but what's in God's heart for this moment. Think about it for a second. This is so countercultural to our way of doing life in the church and in the world. You see, what they say is find men and women who have the spirit and wisdom. Apparently, there are observable characteristics that distinguish one who is filled with the spirit and one who is not. And what they do is they find them and they install them to serve the need of the moment. And the need of the moment was administrative, behind the scenes, non-glorious, no stage lights, complaining, nagging widows kind of need. And as a result of their obedience to the Spirit's empowerment, evangelistic outcomes... We miss it because countercultural, our culture says, no, 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 no. It's about your Enneagram type. It's about your personality profile. Are you introvert or extrovert? Are you sensing or intuitive? Like, what is your Myers-Briggs? It's about your passion and uniqueness. And you want to change culture based on your self-differentiation. And we have psychology over the last 30 years that have produced some great things. We've learned so much. But what it's done for millennials is it's prevented the church from being a servant to the world. It's prevented the church from being foot washers to a city. And it's made the focus of what's in my hand, what's my personality, what's my passion and desire, and what am I going to get out of this? Rather than, what are you doing, Holy Spirit? 
and how can I serve? How are we doing? Again, I'm just preaching to myself. Oh, I'm so convicted by this. Because you know what? I, how many times do we walk around going, who am I? And that Zoolander looking back says, I don't know. <laughs> how many times do we walk around going, who am I? <clears throat> What's my purpose? Why am I here? Do I matter? Am I important? Will they like me? Am I enough? And the problem with those questions as we wrestle as the church is we have all the answers but we're not settling into who we really are. And if we walk around our lives, our world, asking those questions, we will not be useful for God's work. Because when you walk to work, when you walk into work, you are the beloved. You have a purpose and a calling and power from the Most High to bring life on earth as it is in heaven as you are, where you are, wherever you are. And as long as your question is, or as long as you're wrestling with, well, I'm not really evangelistic, I'm introvert. Maybe what your workplace needs, what's in God's heart, is for this introvert to learn evangelism. Because the workplace needs evangelism. It might not be what you want to do, but it's what God wants to do. Which one has priority? I think what I see at this moment is a church that's obsessed with itself. And it doesn't exist for itself. It exists for the world. And this is what we do. We create these filters. I show up. Was the teaching good? Is the pastor funny? Was the worship song selection fine? Do they have a singles ministry, a college ministry, my age-appropriate ministry? Is there a place safe for my kids? We, we filter community like that. I get it. But what we're called to is be, to be like sheep among the wolves. That is not a pleasant calling on the church. Do you know what happens when a wolf gets a hold of a sheep? Have you seen it? No, you haven't? Don't YouTube that. Our invitation and commissioning has less to do with our personality and more to do with what God's up to in the world. So the church, when, as long as we're obsessed with ourselves, will never be the awakening, revival, renewal, of reconciliation that we're called to be. And I'm not saying church, corporate, global. I'm saying garden, you, 1115 service. Everyone here that says yes to Jesus, that have found a, a commonality around the confession that he's Lord and raised from the dead. Every single person here has been commissioned to carry on the work of Jesus where you are. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, in this moment, continue the work of Jesus everywhere you go. Get out of the nap schedule once in a while. I know it's hard. And look up as you go to the park, as you take that walk, and be a person of impact, who is awakening to other people's experiences around them. This is what I see. Because we're so focused on the self, what you see in the church, what you see Philip do, is he moves from self to others, right? And then this is the marker, I think, of the Holy Spirit, is when, <clears throat> as we begin to mature, we move from self to others, to serving others and it starts in the church and I need to say church we need servants at this moment at the garden 
We need servants to set up and tear down every week. To, you know, our worship team, there's one person paid. The rest are all volunteers, and they get here at 7 o'clock and leave at like 1.30 or 2 every Sunday for nine years. We need AV people. We need people who are called to do kids' ministry every week because they, if they, because they love children or because that's the need. Don't hurt the children if you don't love them. <laughs> love them. Obviously, that's a no-brainer. We know we don't. We do background checks for that. It's not funny. We do background checks. We need kids, youth. We need people to be creative with their skills and ideas to rewrite the story of Long Beach in this moment. Move in ministry. <clears throat> it's so simple. We went to the multi-service center and we said, what do you need? And they told us, we need people that will furnish the apartments and help those individuals who are isolated and alone to carry on in community. You have what we don't. Could you be that? And we said, let us be the first place you call anytime you have a need. And they have never called another church other than us. We've got so much more work to do, guys. We need you to serve. How are we doing? <clears throat> but it starts there, and then persecution breaks out. Right, so persecution breaks out, Stephen's killed. The first guy, oh, I forgot to name the guys. I love this part. Did I give you guys the names? But I give you the meaning of their names? Exactly. <laughs> Stephen, crown victorious. Ah, oh, Prochorus, my personal favorite, leader of the dance. <laughs> Nicanor, victorious army. Timon, he who, uh, he who respects or receives respect. Perminius, permanent. Nicholas, people's victory. Philip, lover of ponies. <laughs> <laughs> so victorious army, <clears throat> sorry, crowned victorious, gets killed. Everyone gets scattered except the apostles. The rock, Peter, goes and stays in Jerusalem. Everyone else gets scattered. Verse 4 of chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Huh. Philip, lover of ponies, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there, which is a phrase. It's a title. Philip is now a herald of the gospel of Jesus. A herald was a person that came on behalf of the emperor to announce a military victory in a city or town. Lover of ponies, the potluck associate, passing out food to widows, is now proclaiming the Messiah. And then when the crowds heard Philip, they saw the signs he performed. He's performing signs. They paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were baptized or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I love lover of ponies. This is the character I relate to the most. And I, I really, well, I want to relate to the most, to be honest. It's a dream I have that one day Long Beach would be full of joy because of the work we've started here. But look at what happens. He goes to Samaria, proclaims the gospel. He performs signs and wonders, delivers evil spirits. He heals some people, and the city is full of joy. The Holy Spirit empowers gifts based on the missional need of the moment. This is so important to understand. And we're going to go into gifts next week, gifts of the Holy Spirit. But often what we think is that um, 
receiving the gifts of the Spirit are kind of like personality tests, like we only get one or two. That's not biblical. And so I, what you need to know is that um, we have all of Jesus' ministry is available for all of the church, period. And so what we have to step into is recognizing that we've been looking at gifts the wrong way. At least this is what I assume most of us do. Lord, I want the healing ministry gift. I want the gift of healing. That is not for you. Okay? Gifts of healing are for the person that's sick. All right? I want to grow. I want the words, word of knowledge. You may be given a word of knowledge, but that gift is for the other person. All the gifts except personal tongues, which we'll talk about. Actually, John Mark is going to talk about because it's so controversial. And I'm like, John Mark, why don't you do that one? Um, <laughs> in a couple weeks, he'll be here. <laughs> That's the best. Like, teach on tongues for us. Thanks so much. I'll see you later. <laughs> what you have to understand is as you look at the gifts, they're for the people in the moment. So when, let's just read this passage, which we'll, re, we'll teach in a couple weeks on. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now to each one, this is Paul speaking to the church and what happens in a supernatural environment created by the church. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given from, for the common good. So the purpose of the gifts is for the common good, which talks about in chapter 14, the, the building up of the church. To one, there is a given the, through, this, through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. So here's, here's someone is going to have a word of knowledge. Someone's going to have prophecy or wisdom in the moment. But it's the same Spirit, okay? Uh, to another, a message of knowledge by the same... Uh, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation. Summary, all these are the work of one in the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So I've always looked at it going, I'm gonna get one or two gifts and it's based on my desire what God has sovereignly de decided. And the truth is, yeah, we might function in some of these gifts in a corporate setting like this out of one or two main gifts. But what we see in scripture is actually what's more effective is recognizing that the Spirit enables gifts based on the missional need in the moment. Philip, the need of the moment in Acts 6 was someone to wait on tables that was full of the Spirit. The need in the moment in a city in Samaria in Acts 8 was someone to proclaim the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. It's the same guy, but it's the Spirit enabling God's heart in that moment. You with me? So Philip wasn't saying, showing up to Samaria, sorry guys, I'm an ISTJ, a nine in the Enneagram. I do behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> when it comes to ministering the gifts, the Spirit enables them in the moment, so the Holy Spirit will simply empower those who are available. I, I think it's this simple. I know it's so hard to grasp, but it's basically those that show up, have a breath, and say, God, I'll do what you want me to do. There's no, like, that's how I, that's why I relate to Philip. It's like Rock Harbor Church of 7,000 for years was trying to plant a church, and this 23-year-old kid's going, I'll do it. Hey, guys, over here. No experience. Three classes, three sermons I ever preached, and they were all graded by Bill Doctrine for his class, our, our other teaching pastor. And then I was leading a church. I went to one elder meeting they prayed me out of before I was leading an elder, uh, elder team, <laughs> 
I, there was, and that's, that's why it's, the garden's this way. I mean, we were just so screwed up in the beginning, and now we're still screwed up now. I'm playful. No, it's not true. Um, but it was because of obedience. You just show up, and God, I just say God blesses those who breathe and say, I'll do what you say. What I've taught in the past is this idea of we start serving by saying what's in your hand. So I just, and I think this is true to some degree, but I'm, I'm developing a different perspective. And this is what we love to do, right? We say, what's in our hand? So you have intellectual capa- uh, uh, capital and spiritual ca- capital and financial and physical capital and relational capa- capital. I'm messing up this word. Capacity, capital. Um, and we, we start by saying, okay, how much time do I have to give? What, you know, what do I want to do? And I see as I've matured in this journey of being led by the Spirit, it's less and less about what's in your hand, and it's more and more about what's in God's heart for this moment, for this place, for this person. The goal of operating in the natural supernatural of uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit is always to reveal God's love. And this is the game changer for me, that the goal of operating in the naturally supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit, the everyday empowerment of the Spirit, is always, has the same outcome. It's simply to reveal God's love, period. We don't work and we don't do signs and wonders as a way of pointing to signs and wonders in this, themselves, but it always points to the risen Jesus. It always points to the love of God. Love becomes the framework and the atmosphere for operating in the supernatural. With this mindset, the outcome will always be the same. The demonstration and the manifestation of the love of God wherever you are. What do I mean by this? I used to, when I was moving in the things of the Spirit, wanting to see healing, wanting to have words of knowledge, when I was practicing these things early on, the excitement and the outcome was for someone to have an encounter with God that ha- left them with like a byproduct of healing or prophecy was the, or a word of knowledge. Like the, the joy I had was, oh, I had a word of knowledge and they got rocked by it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was just a few of us. But what I realized in operating this actually... The whole point of it is to reveal God's love. Everything. So if a person's healed, the the goal isn't healing. The goal is that their relationship with God is now revealed to them in a very tangible way. Or if it's a word of knowledge that, that moves into inner healing, this happens all the time, right? Where there's a word of knowledge about somebody. We pray for people all the time up here. And oftentimes people will come with like uh, their own diagnosis of what they need prayer for. And as we pray for that, a word of knowledge comes. And it's just a gentle, hey, I'm sensing this. And all of a sudden, it's like they're weeping because the secrets of their hearts are unlocked. And now God is speaking to them in such a unique way. And there's no way this person praying could have known this. This is the the work of a divine God in this person's life. And 99.9999% of the time, what they feel as a result is intimacy with God. His heart is revealed to them. Do you see? Quick story. Can I give you a quick story? Um, I, this week, went to a large church in Long Beach because I was asked by their lead pastor to <clears throat> teach their leaders on the ministry of healing because they are dealing with sickness at a, like, a large level. And it's a conservative, cautious church that does not pray for healing. They believe in it, but like, like most churches, they don't practice praying for healing. And he asked if I would come and just talk to their leaders about it and then so I decided to do that and then bring our team to pray for healing, um, which is always fun. So I, I brought our team. I talk about the ministry of the Spirit, the theology we have. 
about healing and how to pray. And I was like, why don't we all stand, cl close our eyes and open up our hands and we'll just pray for everyone, okay? And we get like this and they're conservative, they're cautious, they're mostly like this. I'm like, no, open up your hands, just be open. And Pastor John Rosine um, puts his hand, oh, and right before this, let me say this. I was first like, does anyone have words for anyone? And one of our interns goes, he's new, he goes, uh, this, I feel like somebody here has one leg longer than the other. Which is like, for a church that's conservative and cautious, that's like, a, that's a big jump, right? <laughs> I was hoping for like, feeling like, you know, inadequate for your job. Like that would be a more generic word of knowledge, a specific, and nobody claimed it. So we, I was like, why don't we just stand up and close our eyes? <laughs> Trying to s save the day. Then John puts his hand on this, the AV guy's shoulder and the guy, what felt like projectile tears came out of his eyes as he hysterically weeps immediately. It was like, ah, like immediately. It was so funny. I was like, whoa, what's going on over here? Oh, it's John praying, of course, you know. <clears throat> what happens is every single staff member gets rocked and rocked. They get words of knowledge, prophecy. They're all crying. We debrief it. It was like details about their life, like all, and it's, it's just normal for us. That's literally, we were like, this is our staff meeting, basically. This is what we, and this is true, this is what we do in staff. We just, we expect the Holy Spirit to show up and we minister to each other. We cry almost every staff meeting. That's the ongoing joke. Um, we actually call the room the cry room because we, yeah, anyways. But the guy, the AV guy shares what's going on. He's like, you guys wouldn't leave me alone. Then this guy prays and I'm crying and he's telling us, he goes, he goes, Last week, my chiropractor told me my right leg is longer than my left leg. And so we're like, everyone's sharing, it's awesome. And we're like, and I'm like, hey, why don't we actually pray for your leg? That was the word of knowledge. So I'm like, intern, come on. His leg grows in front of us. He's right next to the lead pastor, and he can't believe it, but he's watching it happen. Okay? And what does the guy think? Oh, this is a spectacle. The guy experiences the love of God like never before in his life. The goal wasn't the outcome. It's never about the outcome. When operating in the naturally supernatural, one must be unattached to outcomes. Your only job is to show up and say, God, what are you up to? And how can I participate? Because with that mindset, sometimes the missional need in the moment is serving others in administrative tasks. Sometimes it's praying for healing. Sometimes it's preaching and teaching. Sometimes it's prophecy and words of knowledge. But the ministry of the Spirit comes to those who are open and available to him. It doesn't end there. I want to just, end, oh, we're going on some time. I want to just finish the story because Philip, it's lover of ponies. Check this out. So the last thing we read is the city is full of joy. Like, this is the dream, right? So if that was the, the story of Philip, you know what would happen today? Multi-site, book deal, conference tour. That's basically what would happen to Philip, okay? Everyone's like, uh, that's what would happen to Philip. He's the man, in parentheses. That's what it's saying. That's what we're thinking, at least us in ministry that are getting a paycheck from the church. This is the struggle. That in Western, I'm gonna step down. In Western American church. We are driven by the, defini the, the American definition of success. Large things, famously, as fast as possible. 
And if you look at the way of Jesus, it is basically the opposite. But we follow the way of the world. Why? Because it's easier. Because there's ego, money, and power connected, and fame connected to doing it that way. And Jesus says, but you won't be like them. But we have. And I believe we've seen moves of God in churches that have made it about themselves. And what God was wanting to do there, they tried to package it and sell it off. It has to be given away for free. It has to be given away for free. Whatever God gives us has to be given away for free. That's the only way we'll get more. How are we doing? That was not, I didn't even want to share that. That was just, okay, so Philip, city full of joy, very next moment for his life. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, the desert road. Go from where you're known by everyone and the city's full of joy to a desert road. How's that for leadership mobility? How's that for a platform God wants to give you? I hear this all the time. God's giving you a platform. If God gives you a, if somebody says God's given you a platform, say, actually, he's given me a towel to wash feet. Because that is the leadership model we follow in the church. At the moment, Jesus knew all authority from heaven and earth was given to him, that he knew he was from the Father and he was going back to the Father. He steps back from the table, takes off his outer garment, and washes his disciples' feet and says, this is what you are to do for the world, to know what love looks like. This is the picture of leadership, washing feet. Philip experienced that because he leaves the city and goes to this desert road where he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury in this crazy place. And it was called the Queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he was a God-fearing Gentile, converted Jew. On his way home, was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Just so happens that the Spirit told him, go to the chariot. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading the the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asks. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited him in. Philip, uh, at the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading, it said this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, hey, tell me, who is this guy? Is it him or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look at here is some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot, and they, they both got out, and the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. And as soon as he was baptized, the Lord took Philip away, where he f- was found preaching the gospel in other towns. You see, Philip had a city full of joy, And he hears from God, go to the desert. And he goes to the desert because operating in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about obedience. And what I I really need you to see is living in the power of the Spirit is about serving others. And it's about obedience. And it's about surrendering the outcomes. Because one minute it is waiting tables. The next it's preaching and healing. And the next it's going to the desert where you leave the community and you're isolated alone only to be given the gift of teaching for this one dude 
who happens to be in the court of Ethiopia, which in first century terms in the Roman Empire had a nickname. Do you want to know what it was? The ends of the earth. Lover of ponies. Baptizes a man in the court of the ends of the earth as he travels home. And to this day, Ethiopia has one of the oldest churches in history. How we doing? Spirit enables Philip to explain the scriptures and the church continues on its ministry doing the things that Jesus would do to the ends of the earth. Church needs servants to pass out food. Samaria needed a Messiah to be proclaimed and the kingdom to be demonstrated and Ethiopian needed teaching and exhortation. And Philip just said, hey, I'm here. What's up? <laughs> and I just want you to think about the implications today. All of Jesus' avail- all of Jesus's ministry is available for all of the church. <coughs> Will you go for it? Don't ask what's in your hand. Ask what's in God's heart. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.